So I woke up this morning at 6am because I'm in Morocco uh, and yesterday I was in Spain and the time difference is two hours during Ramadan and I immediately realized, oh my god, Caroline's first proof copy will have arrived at her house in Massachusetts during the time when I was asleep and hopefully she would have sent me updates. So of course I looked over at my phone and there were text messages from Caroline uh, and photos of the first proof, which sh I have one coming to France too, but I won't get there and for a few days, so I haven't seen it yet. But um, yeah, it looks great. And this is what she said to me about it. Hi, Lucy. This is like the third time that I've tried to record this because I want to have more to say other than just it's crazy and it's insane but that's just kind of all that i feel right now which is good and i think about what i expected but i'm looking at my proof copy of the moan wilds i'm in my bedroom right now sitting next to a pile of laundry that i need to fold and it's i don't know i don't know what else to say right now other than that it's really amazing and looking at the moan wilds in just in its real physical form makes me feel really excited for more people to be able to have to be able to have it in in physical form and to have it on their bookshelves and to take it around and to read it and hopefully feel something good or at least intense about it it's just i feel really amazed this is really cool so we do have some things to fix, of course, but that's fine. We, I mean, we, we knew that before we even sent it away. So yeah, really excited. I also had a text from Sebastian when I woke up. It said, well, it's from the person who is designing his cover to him, forwarded to me, that says, any chance you could ask for the spine width so I can make the cover mechanical? the cover design adjusted to the actual thickness of the book. So yeah, I have sent all of that information and we don't know exactly how many pages the book is going to be yet. Not because of, not because it's not finished or something, but just because uh, there is some extra stuff going in the interior, which we are yet to fully uh, confirm the details of. So yeah i'm being vague because i don't know I, I suppose we're going to like reveal all of this and i i i don't know exactly <laughs> when or uh, or how yet but i'm i guess i'm just keeping um some information to myself so that's why <laughs> i sound a little bit uh you know i feel like this is now it's getting really fun you know in the last episode i was sort of a bit stressed <laughs> but at this stage it, it things are starting to come together and i feel very excited about both of the books like becoming real now um and also it's just funny right to be able to just like wake up at six o'clock in the morning in morocco and have all these messages <laughs> about these projects um i think it's really something that i never would have anticipated was possible but it apparently is. Okay, let's hear some literature. 
In this episode I wanted to include some pros and I thought back to the Shabby Dollhouse advent calendar which we published of course in December. The longest piece from the advent calendar was a prose piece by Aidan Ryan called Postcards from the Passenger Seat and it's about a road trip across the US from New Orleans to LA. I'm going to play you just a little bit of Aidan reading from that piece. For context, I would like you to imagine that you have a pen pal that you've been writing to for the past seven years. They live on a different continent to you. You don't usually see each other in person, but you write these letters. And one day you say in a letter, hey, just come here and let's do something together. Next thing you know, you're in the passenger seat of a rented car, arriving in a very famous place that probably feels familiar to you, even if you've never been there before. Tomorrow, we're headed somewhere that promises no memory, no history, no antecedent. Las Vegas, Nevada. Las Vegas boasts an imitation Camelot, an imitation Floridian Resort, an imitation Eiffel Tower, an imitation New York City skyline. Parts of Las Vegas are an imitation Las Vegas. But, as the late Chris Cornell is eternally singing, it doesn't remind me of anything. Tonight we're cleaned up cowboys, big hats, and slim wallets. What does it come with, you ask the bodybuilding bartender at the steakhouse in the MGM Grand? The words, a la carte, land with practiced mercy. I take out only the cash I can afford to lose, and do. You have better luck at roulette. We smoke cigarettes giddily, then languorously, then automatically, eyes going pinched, saving our breath with gestures for hit and check and another round. We make an art of delay, the tactics of timing free drinks at the tables. I order for both of us, even though you're playing and I'm only watching over your shoulder, my hoover flags hidden, black brim tipped down. We have big plans to go to a nightclub where everything's made of ice. They hand out fur coats, mittens, and ushankas at the door. But Google informs us of a $35 cover. We're out of cigarettes, it's a long walk to Mandalay Bay, and anyway, I have Renaud's. Over the outdoor escalators and back to the MGM, I head to the bathroom and you, up $250, find a table for one last lucky bet. When I return, your face is a new moon. You've lost it all. The last words we hear before the bliss of blackout blinds come from a family in the liminal place where a casino, mall, and food court meet. You never said you were thirsty, a woman corrects her husband. You just bitched about having nothing to drink. Seven and a half minutes into this podcast and you've already been to Marrakesh, Massachusetts and Las Vegas. So if you're listening to this podcast, I assume that you're probably quite knowledgeable in the niche <laughs> subject that is Shabby Dollhouse. I'd also just like to mention that in Marrakesh I came upon a shop that called itself Shabby Chic and Shabby was spelled C-H-A-B-I.
never even considered that before. But well, assuming that you do have some knowledge of Shabby Doha's, the literary magazine press, I don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> this project that has been running for the last 11 years, assuming you know about that, you could have been wondering to yourself, why hasn't she mentioned her own book yet? It's three episodes in and no one has even referenced Woman with Hat by Lucy K. Shaw. Yeah, I don't know. I think probably I'm just not very good at um, promoting myself. Or am I? I asked one of my friends and favourite writers, Matthew Bookin, if he would like to have a conversation with me about my new book, Woman with Hat. And um, we did it. Okay. Hi, everyone. This is Matthew Bookin. I'm here with Lucy K. Shaw, and we're talking about her new novel, Woman with Hat. Uh, thank you for talking with me, Lucy. Thank you. You sounded suddenly like um, Michael Silverblatt from Bookworm. <laughs> I was thinking, like, should I do kind of like a podcast voice for this whole thing? Maybe. Um, yeah. It's up to you. <laughs> I'll kind of, I think I'll kind of phase in and out of it as we go yeah. on. Okay, me too. <laughs> I guess to start off, um, kind of how soon after Third Wave did you start thinking about Woman with Hat or... Like, I, I assume you were probably, you were still writing after Third Wave came out, probably not without intention to build it into anything. But when did this sort of solidify as the next book? Hmm. Yeah, okay. So, Troisième Vague came out in, like, October, October, I think, of 2021. Mm -hmm. And then I start the, the first story that I wrote from Woman with Hat, I wrote, I think, in like December, maybe of 2021. And then the rest of it, I wrote all in like the next, the first like 10 months of 2022. Mm -hmm. So, but it probably wasn't until like, I don't know, last summer, 2022, that I, or early summer, where I started to think, oh, maybe this could be a book. Although actually, initially, what I sort of told myself was like, this will be a zine. Because mm -hmm. I just, if I just sort of throw some, um kind of just throw some work together and sort of produce stuff for fun that isn't really um I don't know I guess like really labor intensive or high concept or something I was just like what would happen if I was like blogging you know or making yeah. a zine and I think um, you can kind of maybe you even mention that in the book that it sort of is a zine because the book sort of creates itself from the inside out, like you, you talk about writing the book within the book and like finishing the book um, right. with, so like that, that kind of, it's a fit, like it's fit comes fairly quickly after third wave um, was uh, the speed that you wrote this or kind of like your routine for it. Was uh, it faster than like your working kind of a routine before, or is this sort of par for the course? Uh, yeah, well, it's definitely faster than the book, like than the first books that I wrote, because mm. I think once you've done a few, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, like I know, oh, maybe you're less afraid to try stuff. Because um, yeah. you I mean, I understand that, like, not all of it's going to go in there, but you might as well, you know, if you have a spare hour in the morning or something, right. you might be able to make something that can be included. Um, and I definitely like once I realized that it was at least a zine and then sort of started to feel like okay well maybe you know it could be a book mm -hmm. i just started to 
every time I did anything, I was like, oh, that's a story. Oh, there's something in that, you know, like just kind of felt like, well, this is interesting. I don't know. Right about and this it does too. have this, the kind of like immediacy and rhythm where it's, it, you know, it's something in the book, like there are stories in the book or moments in the book, like the, like the, uh, the in, in this house list of, of your values. That's almost, it's like a moment of texture or just a moment of rhythm that, it doesn't, it's not like a narrative beat, but it just sort of propels the attitude of the book further. So uh, I could imagine like those things would pop up and be like, oh, this is maybe not like within the front, like the, the plot line of the book, but it does sort of fit in with the tone and kind of moves something forward within the framework of the book. Um, which I think, I think is just kind of an interesting way yeah. to go about it because it, um, something that I think about a lot is how with poetry collections, you get these very um, kind of exciting emotional beats that you can hit very rapidly that you can't necessarily always do in fiction. Um, but I think this recreates that very successfully where you can kind of um, make, a, make a series of points or, or take the reader through a series of very different tonally vignettes very quickly um yeah and I think I think that's very effective yeah interesting that you say that because when but before you said it I was thinking yeah it's it there are some aspects of it like that that do kind of feel like it's what you could do in a poetry collection that you might not do in a in a story collection or whatever yeah. this is um and probably that's partly because I've been doing a poetry book club for like the last two and a half years and I've read like 40 poetry books or something, you know, like, and actually really like considered them and talked about them and uh, just gone deeper into them than I usually would with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like I think before I was in the book club, like I would have just read a few of the poems or, you know, like read them quickly, moved on. But right. the fact that you have to like discuss it later <laughs> means that you have to, spend more time with what's actually going on. Like, particularly, like, I think I get into the structure because I'm not a poet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also find with like poetry collections, if I read like a lot of it in one straight go through, I stop kind of absorbing it just because it's such a rapid fire, like, uh, you know, rhythm and language that I, I do have to kind of go back through it a few times. Right. So they're kind yeah. of like, they're, they're like pros and cons to that format, I feel like. Um, yeah I mean I'm just imagining like anyone who's a poet who's listening to this being like why are they talking about this <laughs> <laughs> just, just being like, what's poetry what's going on with this? <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like for me like the kind of poetry book that I would enjoy reading more like has a story you know or has a narrative or something yes um, <laughs> so um yeah I was happy to borrow from from the form right to, yeah. Um, do you do you ever go back to like have you revisited some of your early books lately? Like have you reread The Motion or Waves, especially kind of thinking of a new project, like going back to, I don't know, just kind of check in on what you've already created in the past as you're kind of moving forward? Yeah, I do sometimes, but um, not super regularly I feel like when sometimes like when I think 
of a particular book like mm-hmm. i sort of have this feeling of like oh my god what like what what did i do and then if i make myself look at it i'm like oh this is fine you know like this right, is good yeah just, it's all yeah it's always that way for the most part to just go back right. and be like oh no like this is i like this this i don't hate this actually right um and also like something that i do sometimes is like i'll remember like a certain line or a certain sentence that i've put in like just in the middle of the book and i'm like oh mm-hmm. i'm not sure about that like i feel kind of awkward or embarrassed about saying this one specific thing right and like think that for months you know just like if oh, yeah. Like, yeah. if someone mentions that one project i'm like oh no but that thing i did and then if you look at it you're like in context it makes sense <laughs> right or you think like they've zoned in on this one thing and it's crumbled the whole experience for them <laughs> yeah 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 no but i actually like uh when i was doing woman with hat like i did look at this zine that i made in like 20 14 that mm-hmm. was just like a very um it, it had like little scraps of my own writing in it but a lot of it was like screenshots and like stuff taken there, there would be like, like tweets people. from other people in it yeah, yeah. very just like found like like screenshots of like stuff from facebook or or twitter or whatever right. and uh, with like interview questions from like the Paris Review or whatever mm. oh, and it was all just like this sort of collage that I made um last of the famous intergalactic playboys was the title a very rare collector's item <laughs> um, and uh yeah I was thinking like oh that was fun and um and I enjoyed just like doing something that wasn't very I didn't have to take super seriously yeah. I think that sort of made me think that I could build on whatever the, whatever I was doing for whatever like whatever became woman with hat but yeah, it's kind it's, of, it was sort of a celebration of community in a way as well in a way that woman with hat is I think yeah um do you you think I don't know if it is or not <laughs> do you think, I think so like I, I I recall it like I I, I do I, as I recall the zine that was sort of like about the <laughs> No, no, but I mean the book. Do you think? Oh, the book. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I do think. um, I think that's kind of one of the things going on uh, in Woman with Hat. Um, I guess I want to start off talking about the uh, the warmongering chapter, which is sort of a memory of the the narrator uh, as she's in college, um, talking to someone, and there's um, it's what there's there's been like a series of bombings in London. And they're talking about this and and it ends with he's almost um he's almost sort of let down that like it's it's happened and it's over and it was this bad and he says we all we all want things to be much worse than they are um and that sort of i felt that that was sort of an important moment in the book because the book to me a, a big part of it feels like kind of coming not only sort of coming out of the pandemic you know to a certain extent um, but also, um, in all the, in, all the interviews or the, the, just sort of the, the conversations that the narrator is having in her job with all these people around the world and people are having very mundane lives and days, or some people like are just very casually mentioning like, Oh, you know, like, uh, someone in my family died a couple of days ago, or there's, you know, I'm on the border of this war happening. So, um 
that comment at the beginning of we want things to be much worse than they are. It's like, okay, we've seen this this terrible global like catastrophe happen. And we're aware of anything, any, any sort of awful thing can happen at any time. And so it's kind of the question becomes like, how do we continue to connect with people and how do we continue to create art when we, when we sort of realize that our reality is, is very fragile or our connections and our um, perceptions of other people are very fragile as well. Um, so do you, do you feel like kind of a third wave is very focused on living in pandemic and, and trying to stay connected to everyone? Um, do, does one with hat feels almost like a sister book to it, to you in a way, because it, this one feels very much like, okay, we've gone through that. Like, how do we, how do we, how do we move past this now and, and keep going and stay connected to everyone, even though, you know, life can be as bad as it can possibly be, but how do we just kind of keep going? Yeah. I mean, I guess so. I wouldn't have planned it that way, mm. but it, it's sort of just naturally is right. I think both books are just kind of, if you let someone create whatever they wanted, like, I feel like I've had total freedom because I've been able to publish the books through Shabby Dollhouse. Nobody's like tried to steer me in another direction, really. Like I've basically just done what I wanted and what I thought the people who I know will read it, will enjoy and like will be entertained or comforted or excited by. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, literally all of my books are about me and my life. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so all of them are kind of like, a, a sort of uh, progression through my existence in a way. And, it, um, and it's interesting because through, I guess, almost all your books, except maybe the motion, there's almost this sort of catastrophe, like on the outer fringes of, of everything. Um, you know, like uh, Waves is obviously about a very specific time in Toronto. Uh, and it's a very traumatic event there. And then third wave is living through this great pandemic and this woman with hat, even though it's kind of the pandemic has passed, there's still like all these sort of tragedies uh, either in the immediate past or kind of on the outside of it. Um, so in that way, a lot of your work has always sort of kind of uh, spoken to me as being about like, you know, that we, we have to keep like creating or trying to do this thing, whatever it is, even though like all this, terrible stuff is possible in the face of it um and kind of woman with hat seemed yeah. like a culmination of that to me in a lot of ways mm, yeah interesting <laughs> this is why i wanted to talk <laughs> to you because <laughs> you know a lot about this you like um understand um yeah i haven't actually thought that before but you're right mm. that is true of every single book um and i would even say that the motion is too i feel like it's about being really alone and like wanting and like yeah, not and knowing motion is very, like, like being distant from a lot of people or things you want to be a part of and but still starting to build up something even though there's like this great loneliness and um obviously how to be a perfect bride has this kind of like turn in it where it's it's not it's it's more about you know dealing with cancer and yeah yeah Basically, it's like I'm just needing awful things to happen so I can put like right, a that, that's, funny. Yeah. 
that if that kicks off the creative process for you every time. Yeah, I guess a lot of people go to like therapy and I just do this. Right. Um, I, I think it's probably cheaper and it's cooler too. So, <laughs> so far, it's, it seems to be okay for me. Um, but yeah, I guess, yeah, that's true. Um, I Now I'm like worried, like what's going to happen next? <laughs> I'm going to have to write. Well, I think Woman with Hat is a very hopeful book in that it, to me, it, it sort of puts forth the idea of like, like, listen, like things, life is going to go on, things are going to get good, then they're going to get bad again, then they're going to get good and bad. But it's like, we just, we have to keep doing this thing, you know, whatever it is exactly that feels so important to us. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. And I felt like in this one, there, there are stories and like little pieces about things that really maybe you wouldn't I wouldn't normally think oh this is worth writing down you know or or, or recording or whatever or telling people about but there was something about like <laughs> obviously how we didn't really see people for a long time in yeah. the pandemic and then when we did it was like and when it and also like not only when we could see people again but when it just sort of felt normal or like when it felt yeah. relaxed it took a it was while like yeah i just felt like wow this is amazing like i'm so interested in whatever everybody's like doing saying and so i yeah um yeah and i just i i think i just got really in, interested in the idea of conversation which is also like why i wanted to do this podcast thing because it's you know it's all conversation yeah. <laughs> um, so there are a lot of um, conversations with students with, I presume a, a lot of them are, are actual conversations that you've had with your students. Um, all, of all of them are, so that none of them are, are fictional. They're all literally conversations. No. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, do you feel like, how do you feel that your job has informed your writing since since you've been doing it hmm. well so my like main thing that I do is teaching kids so in this book I didn't write about kids at all right um did in the other one but for that was kind of different for this one it was like I'm shit I'm basically so I also sometimes teach like do like basically conversation practice mm -hmm. with adults who are learning English and they can be from anywhere uh it's very casual i usually see them like once mm -hmm. um talk with them for half an hour you know sometimes they can speak english perfectly and they just want to practice um yeah, in the book so, it seems to be like presented as like they just pick you and then they pop on you pop on together on this app and just like have a conversation and they practice english right exactly and so because most of them because most of them speak english really well you can just immediately start talking about what is really interesting or important to them mm -hmm. um people just tell you stuff and you're like suddenly knowing all the all of this information and like and details of some some random guy in japan's life or like yeah. you know someone in uh saudi arabia or, and i mean they're from literally anywhere um yeah but it's so i don't that's not a thing that i even do regular like i don't have like a regular schedule where i do that all the time mm -hmm. but i actually like and it's not very well paid but i th think 
that it's really important for that that I do it. Okay. So like for my uh, for my writing or for yeah. my like understanding of the world. Like I if I don't do it for a few weeks or something, and then I talk with some guy in Turkey again, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh right, um, you know the election's coming up in Turkey and everybody's fucked and right. <laughs> they really need change. Yeah. And these people are just having a really difficult time and like. If I don't know that and think about that, it's very easy to just, um, or like if, I, if someone's not telling me that, you know, it's different when you see it on the news, you know, or it's different yeah. when you just sort you're, of- You're having such like just a casual conversation with the, like you're being briefly invited into their life and be like, oh, this is reality for someone, you know, like there right. are people there liter- literally living through this thing. Right. And even if you travel to another place, you can't, you don't just go up to people and be like, so what's it like, just like being you, (laughs) you (laughs) (laughs) Um, because they wouldn't tell you, but in this situation, they know that you're not, you're not actually with them. You're not probably ever going to see them again. So it doesn't matter. It will serve friendship kind of a thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I, this isn't in the book because it happened afterwards, but like there was a man that I was teaching whose some of his family died in the earthquake in Turkey. Mm. And like, it, I talked to him uh, like quite a lot after it happened. And mm. it was awful, obviously. I mean, I was yeah. like, I was, I was like, you don't, like he was asking me to correct his grammar and stuff. Like when he was describing what happened and how his dad had like, pulled people out of the wreckage and how they've been looking for people. And I'm like, no, it doesn't matter about your English. <laughs> like, Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it's amazing that you can talk about this in general. Mm-hmm. And obviously at this point, like you could be like, oh, I don't need to do that. You know, like it's not my job. Right. Right. Yeah. But it, I'm still like a human talking to another human. Right. right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can, maybe I shouldn't have even brought this up. It's like hard to explain and there's a whole story to it, but it's just like, um, yeah, there can be something really emotional and real about the stuff that you can discuss with people. And then obviously I suppose I did ask myself, like, is that okay to write about it Mm -hmm. when they don't know that I'm doing that? And I just decided that, yeah, it is because um, you know, they can do it too. I didn't, um, it's not like I named, you know, it's like, you know, there's no judgment or anything, obviously it's just sort of, it's almost like kind of these documentary passages Mm. within the book that, that again, make the world seem so large, but, um, you know, it, it makes everything feel very universal. Like people are having the, you know, the most normal day in the world. They, you know, they're just doing this to practice their English. Other people are relaying, you know, like you said, like pulling a family member out of rubble or something. It's just, um, there's a really interesting chapter in the book because there, uh, there's like the two conversation chapters where it's just kind of rapid fire, like paragraph by paragraph, a different person. Um, there's the chapter, I think it's called uh, The Chronicle of uh, Tayyaf. Tayyaf, yeah. Where which is a very interesting where it's from, it's written from the point of view of the person that you're talking to. So you get sort of the flip side of it. And it's, it's not really remarkable in regard to 
And it like, it's not whatever he's going through or the story that he's telling isn't really more remarkable than any of the other conversations. Um, but you just get a better sense of kind of who this guy is and also sort of the position this puts you in because, or puts the narrator in because it, it you know, they are aware of this, this guy may be sort of vaguely starting to hit on her or, you know, it's trying to steer the conversation in that way. And um, also that you don't use your actual name on this app kind of thing. What was, but I guess my question is what was your decision for that particular story to kind of change the format and change the viewpoint that it was told from? Um, well, actually that was the first one that I did. Okay. So it was more just that I had this conversation with this man mm-hmm. and it was really sort of powerful and striking because of because of what he told me about his family his son like ran into the road and died and yeah uh, like once again like all these conversations that's just one casual detail in a litany of other details right um but basically it was like i had this conversation with this man and then i hung up and i was feeling like oh my god that was really intense and Mm -hmm. obviously i just started writing down everything that I could remember about it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know why I would have put it from his point of view. I guess I could just felt like I could sort of understand how he felt too, you know, like it felt that it was- I think it's important kind of, um, we're talking about like, was it, whether or not it was okay, you know, were these your stories to tell? I think it, like it shows a great deal of empathy to to put that story from his point of view because it shows it's not you really, I don't know, you know, you, you are with these people. It's not you just like being like, Oh, look at these guys. It's, it's that you are part of this as well. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it is, is that's, I'm lucky because obviously I'm speaking my own native language. Right. I actually, I actually do um, French class mm. in the same way. Like I take French classes online. I don't teach them. Um, <laughs> And that, you'll call them up and you'll just have a conversation and like practice yeah. brunch with them. Yeah. Yeah. Basically it's just like, I, I, yeah, it's not a class at all. It's just, I talk with someone for like half an hour and I just do it to like improve my confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and also what I realized from doing the French classes is that like, you know, obviously people speak French in all different countries. So I'd never speak to French people. I always speak to like people in Algeria or Morocco or Cameroon or something. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is so interesting. I can learn about these other places. Um, but obviously being on the other end of it, it gives me a different perspective as well, because I, you know, the person who's the student is mostly doing the talking and mostly uh, talking about themselves. So yeah. I also feel like if one of those people who I tell, talk to the I, if if I tell a woman in Algeria about myself and then she writes about it in her book like that's great I'm, <laughs> that's that's a dream <laughs> I would be I would be happy for her so um, yeah <laughs> so um, kind of at the the center of the novel is uh, a chapter about the um, the character Alexander Petrovsky from Sex in the City. Um, and so, so I guess first off, it's, it's, uh, it's framed as this sort of fictitious YouTube comment. Did, were, were you literally going to like do a, a YouTube comment and then it sort of like got, you, you got so far into it. You're like, this is a 
this is a chapter <laughs> in the book, or was it just something about that particular format that seemed? No, uh, I've, I don't think I've ever written a YouTube comment. That's, <laughs> that's so weird. Um, yeah, I think I've only been like, I look like great cover of this song, and it's you know something. Like that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. No, I think basically I watched all of Sex and the City during the beginning of last year, like I, I was on a plane and it was like six hours and they had Sex in the City and I watched like, you know, the. I was just like, oh, they have season one. I'll just watch a few episodes. And then I just like continued for the next few months, right. which is the thing that happens to me every few years, you know, I'm like, ah, um, yeah. And I thought that there was going to be, I thought uh, like, oh, this is actually really interesting and meaningful in a way that like, maybe I don't, you know, that people don't usually uh, think or take seriously or whatever. Right. But I was like, for me personally, this is a show that I've watched probably since I was like 14 years old. Right. Yeah. And I've changed and it stayed the same. And, mm. you know, there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, oh, did I want to like go and spend time in New York because of that? Like, you yeah. know, or like was this is sort of vision of probably a New York that never exactly existed, but at least an yeah. idea of New York that's pretty far gone at this point <laughs> so right? yeah and um i don't know and it's, yeah it's kind of interesting too because it's like oh this is what adults are like you know yeah exactly right i was like oh i could be like a sort of i mean i assume that when i was like 14 i thought right yeah i'll be like a sort of glamorous woman <laughs> in the future um uh and then yeah when i watched it last year i had sort of there was all these all of these things that i hadn't really paid attention to before you know stuff mm -hmm. about more stuff about money or about like when they have babies or I don't know like when they get divorced or like just like right. the adult stuff in life that right. was like that becomes more applicable to like you and people that you know so anyway I was like oh I'm gonna write something that's like my comprehensive sort of um take on sex and the city at this stage of my life like I'm really gonna think like every time every episode I watched I was like okay right <laughs> sort of yeah like, yeah, like what, what is this puzzle piece to me <laughs> yeah and then I was but and it was like really troubling troubling me like what is it going to be this thing that I'm going to write mm -hmm. and then I just kept thinking about it all the time but like nothing was happening um and then when by the time I got to season six which is when Alexander Petrovsky appears right. just sort of sort of found him hilarious and like sort of thrilling as a character just like just sort of thought what is like why is this guy in this like, tv show like if people don't know he's like portrayed by barishnikov like okay. the, the famous dancer so, um. yeah um and he's yeah like a famous a very self-serious famous artist who for some reason takes an interest in carrie and then they like for a while um it's funny that you um like commented on this piece because i just assumed that like you probably or i assume that a lot of people are just like i don't know who that is or what you're talking about right yeah no like i've 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 gone through the series a couple times like like you i think like um i didn't see all of it until the pandemic right um, watched through the whole thing but i it had kind of been around yeah. for what feels like my whole life where I'd like seen random episodes and then been at a house where the movie was on um, right and it is it is kind of fascinating in a um like I said sort of this like bygone New York 
era this you know like you know carries it as a writer and that's how she supports herself even though she doesn't really know what she's writing about any of the time it's just um I don't know and in the book I think kind of the you you come to a very interesting conclusion with the Alexander Petrovsky character about like um like like oh this is sort of in, in I like in an artistic ideal like I would like to be this character like uh not necessarily like this man exactly, but this life where it is centered around his art and his community um, was kind of like, was that, did, did that feel like the, like kind of the ultimate, um, I don't know, like conclusion you came to during that sort of searching through the series for what was kind of drawing you to it or or making you feel excited about it? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I feel like n- probably not. Like, I think that maybe there's still more to say on this. Um, I don't know. Like, it's in now. I don't feel like a, a strong desire to like go back and write more about Six and Six. I feel like I did something that was like funny and like kind of came yeah. up with a new idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I and especially like the last line of it, where at the end of the piece it says man i feel like alexander petrovsky (laughs) like when i like that's just like one of those things that's just so stupid but to me so funny like you know like Like when i wrote it just like like, i just thought like oh this is genius (laughs) but it's um well it's good like it's i mean it's it's a good note to end that chapter on like it's just because it is to a certain extent pretty ridiculous, like to get lost in this rabbit hole of being like, oh, I'm up at 3 a.m. writing a fic- fictional YouTube comment. Right. Well, actually, at first, so I collected all these YouTube comments and I basically thought that might be the whole piece, like that I just sort of, I just sort of noticed, oh, people are reimagining how they feel about this character mm-hmm. over the course of a year. Like some of them are for five years ago, some of them are three three weeks ago. But everybody's like, oh, I mis- misunderstood this man. <laughs> like on my first <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, like there are comments of people like, now that I'm older, I kind of yeah. I get his whole deal and why Carrie would be <laughs> with him again. Um, yeah, and I kind of thought that was like enough and funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, literally just one night I well, during that time, whenever I was doing it, I think I just woke up, which doesn't usually happen to me. I think it was summer and it was really hot. Mm-hmm. And I woke up and I was like, I can't sleep. And I I guess I'll just go and work on my book. So I like went into the living room and like was just typing in the dark. And then, yeah, at a certain point was just like, I mean, I was really like in the zone. Like I was writing this really yeah. long paragraph describing like, the whole sort of sequence that happens and then I was just like this is insane (laughs) (laughs) and then I was like okay I have to go to bed this is ridiculous it's it's Um, kind of an exciting place to get to like writing where you've like gotten carried so far away to be like oh this is insane but like maybe there's something here if I if I went this far down the rabbit hole of this thing (laughs) Um, but yeah this is kind of what I I think because like the last book that I did was like you know about something serious and sad and like um, difficult I just thought for this like just do stuff that's fun just stuff do stuff that makes you laugh in the middle of the night when you're by yourself (laughs) it's right like that chapter kind of ends on the the joke the line at the end of it and but you also um, 
during the running story that ends that where at the end uh, you and Chris are running for Christmas that ends with this is why I train is, is kind of the final line, which is very funny, but it's also this really cathartic moment that celebrates kind of like, you know, this little like action sequence that's in yeah. the middle of the book. Um, do you, do you think of, do you, do you like very consciously think of you, how you use humor in your writing or is it just, just as it happens, you, you kind of let it in? I think it's just, the, I mean, I hope that's just the way I am. Like, I, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, that Have story. You ever, like put a joke or like had something that was kind of funny and been like, I can't, this is actually not like, I can't joke at this moment kind of thing and had to take it out or. I mean, yeah, but like the the stuff in this like this the, the, in this book like I make that sort of joke about magnetic poetry and the woman there's like right. a, it's a memorial for right, someone like li a literal bit of magnetic poetry at one part of the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I felt like with that, I was like, am I taking this too far? I'm like making fun of someone's memorial because it's got like the magnetic poetry font like in, embossed in bronze. And then I was like, but that is that is a ridiculous thing to do. Like, yeah, it's like in America, there's like people will uh, put memorials to people who pass in their family as like decals on the back windshield of their cars which is is very tragic, but also always has always struck me as like deeply ridiculous to a certain extent. Um, yeah, no, but, but with the story about running that ends with the joke, or it, I mean, it's, that it's, ends with a funny line. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, or it's funny looking back now because I found that story like by far the hardest one to write. Really? Because it was just felt like a thing that was like too, it was like, if I, obviously it's like a difficult experience mm -hmm. um and it was like if i write this down i have to unpick like why all of this feels so important to me why did i do any of that stuff like why why what what how did we get in that position in the first place like emotionally right. um and like what does it mean to like go home and and to to sort of deal with everything that it's about like strive so hard for that and to be like on the brink of failure for the, like right. a, a while yeah and then uh so when i was writing it like it was really like i had to be like okay i'm going to do it now you know like it was like i knew what it was i just had to like i think it was like really often i like write really early in the morning like when everything's quiet and i'm the only one up and uh i was like okay i'm doing it and i'm like under a blanket, like on the sofa, like feeling safe, <laughs> like that I can like think about all this stuff. Yeah. And then I remember like writing it and just like crying like the whole time, just because it like was <laughs> so moving, like you know, yeah. <laughs> around, like how horrible something was for you for you. Um, but then yeah, just but and and then also because the story's about running, but I sort of you you almost you like you can forget that it's a story about running because it isn't you know it moves into all this other stuff so i wanted to in the last line to just throw in the sentence where it's like oh yeah that's what i trained for right. you know like i mean it's fun because it's you know it's a story about running unlike your previous running stories it's like this is centered on the act of running but it's not you know it's not like a casual thing that's going on right <laughs> um like, yeah. okay, i guess like circling back to alexander petrovsky um <laughs> Once again, like I, I really liked that chapter because it made me kind of think of um, 
kind of my place in in any arts community it was like oh i've i've never really wanted to be that person but i've wanted to kind of be within that world um do you has that kind of always been a part of you have you always sort of envisioned kind of a, an artistic community or um living this sort of life where you're you're creating things and you're you're you know you you have built a community essentially um yeah people keep asking me this thing about community oh and i don't really feel like i mean i like live by my i live far away from everyone i don't really feel like i have you know what i mean like i i don't know or, to me it doesn't feel like the hmm it's important, right, that there are other people that you know who are writing or doing whatever it is at the same time. But I'm also, I think I'm quite a solitary person, like I'm sort of quite antisocial in a way, like I would rather see once, write a story about it and then see you again next year, you know, like, right, yeah. then hang out all the time and like... like I feel that way very much, it's like, oh, like the book club, I was like, oh, this is the perfect amount of like socializing <laughs> for a whole month. Right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm not really, I mean, and I'm sure this is would be considered a, a fault by some people, but I'm not really that interested in like seeing people regularly and like taking care of each other and like doing <laughs> <laughs> doing the basic work of friendship. I'm more like let's publish your book, and by doing that, we'll talk all the time. And right. I'm gonna and I'll have a window into your life, and you've read my book. Right. Yeah, I like I don't know something about that is the ideal for me as well. Um, and probably, I don't know, probably a lot of people like just, it, it's, it's this sort of like um, very intimate or, or very um, inclusive view into someone's life that you can just kind of carry around with you. You know, it's, it's, it's not yeah. demanding anything of you, but you can give it back to it as much as you feel comfortable. You know, especially if, if, at least with publishing in this kind of like independent literature, you can be so directly connected to a person who's written something, even just to say like, hey, I enjoyed that. Like, um, yeah, yeah, that kind of creates almost an ideal situation for feeling that way, I think. Um, yeah, I feel like with my books, it's like it, kind of me writing it is like, OK, if you want to know like what's going on with me, it's. It's in the book. You know, yeah. like yeah. if you if you haven't seen me for a while, like you just read this, like we, we don't have to. I don't know. We I, I, I mean, I sound like I don't enjoy spending time with people. Of course I do. But I just I, I know what you mean, though. Like, it's, I, it's draining, you know, <laughs> like um, you feel <laughs> do you feel like um, this will probably be my last question. Do you feel like. Um, or in what way do you feel like you have a, your writing has been shaped or influenced by your role as a publisher, you know, as you've been publishing other people's work for the last 10 years, do you feel um, like they're necessarily separate things, like separate artistic pursuits of creating your own work and publishing other people's work, or does it almost feel like the same thing at this point? Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't feel like the same thing, but I was just thinking about this earlier for some reason. Um, I was just <laughs> thinking about how I've always 
had the attitude of that if I am going to publish other people's work, then my work has to be the best it can possibly be. You know, right. like I have to know what I'm doing and I have to be serious and like be really confident and and capable. And that yeah. like means putting a lot of work into it. Obviously, I, I mean, I not obviously, but as you know, I started publishing before I'd really, I started doing, started taking both things serious. Well, around the same time that I started to do both of them seriously, I guess. Mm. Um, I'd been writing longer, but like, I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. But then as soon as I was like making decisions about other people's work, I was like, well, my work has to be like, the best you know not mm. not not that i mean that i'm the best but that just that like it has to be the best that i can do right it, it, you have to have shown that you are taking your own work seriously so that other people will trust you with their work yeah yeah but obviously working with other people is probably the best free way to learn how to right. <laughs> you think like um if you hadn't like if you hadn't done Shabby Dollhouse, do you think that your writing would be measurably different or you're kind of, um, um, I'm, sure. not, I'm not even sure. Like what do you, can, can you, I don't know, like it feels, especially with this book, it feels like two things very like hand in hand, like that you've, you know, you've discovered the, the possibility of, of publishing. And so that kind of really informs this work specifically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially because now I know that anything I write, I can publish if I want to. Right. I can write it, like I can just do it then, you know, I don't have to to um, to worry. Yeah. Like I, I don't have to think about it. So like it seems especially ridiculous now, like when anyone can just upload like a film they made to YouTube or a song they made to Spotify right. or something. It's like, why not do the same with publishing? You know, why try to find a literary agent when you can just literally just put the book out into the world and the people that you want to read it immediately have access to it. You know? Yeah. And I don't know what it'll mean in the long run, like whether it'll mean that I, like maybe I'm being short-sighted. Mm. Maybe I should be like trying to sell a book to a series, to a big publisher, but I'd rather just like, I think it's, if I write books and they're out in people's homes and people talk about them, then that is probably just as likely that through that that route, something else would happen eventually. You know, right, right. I don't know. I don't really care. Like, I just wanted, to, I just wanted to like. Um, right. And now you you have like created like a full body of work at this point. You know, like four novels. Yeah, it feels like pretty. Um, especially with this one, I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, how did that happen? And yeah. it's funny that, that when people tell me that they've read everything, mm-hmm. that feels amazing like i just think that's so cool because yeah i really don't want to do like like obviously i'm always scared like oh what if people don't like the next thing i do mm, right i just don't think that i don't feel like i think you but when you put work out and you find out what people enjoy and like how people receive it it can obviously help you in the next thing and you can yeah it's, it, you kind of can tune your your own work in that way I, th- I think it can maybe swing in the opposite direction if you know like you don't want to just be like oh people like this so i'm just going to do this all the time yeah, but if yeah, you're yeah. really open to what people are saying it can be really instructive and and exciting to right kind of and i like want to surprise those people yeah but i 
to be like, you know, I want it to be a pleasant surprise. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a, a frightening surprise. <laughs> um, well, we should probably stop talking. We've talked for way too long. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you for reading. Thank you for talking with me. Yeah, and congratulations. It's a great book. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Finally, here comes the last part of the podcast where I ask one of my favorite writers what they have been reading lately. Hey, guys. It's Rochelle Tormino, and the book that I'm currently reading is Emily Dickinson's music book and the musical life of an American poet by George Bazawick. Um, I'm on spring break right now, so I get to read whatever I want. Um, and this book is one that I got a few months ago. I just haven't gotten around to reading it yet. I got it when I went to the Emily Dickinson Museum on my birthday. So about like... I don't know, six months or so ago. Um, the guy who wrote it, I, don't, I think I'm saying his name wrong, probably, Boswick. He is a composer, a librarian, and a music historian scholar. Um, and it's pretty cool. He uses Emily Dickinson's music book to sort of partly tell a biography of her, um, but also partly explain or try to tell the story of what was happening in America in the middle of the 19th century, post-revolution, um, try, America trying to figure out what its sort of cultural identity was, and then also to um, offer new insights into Emily's poetry in the way that she thought about herself as a poet. Um, it's, I'm about halfway through. It's pretty interesting. I didn't really know about music books. Um, sorry if this is not news to people, but, um, there are these like bound, um, sort of objects really popular in the 19th century. Um, essentially girls would learn, um, how to play the piano and they would collect different sheet music throughout their youth. Um, and then once they were adults, they would get all of the sheet music bound into a music book. And they would essentially like take the books with them when they got married and the books would sort of be in the parlors of their homes. So they're these kind of like feminized objects um, belonging to wives and daughters and they were used to perform for families and guests that they were hosting, that sort of thing. So it's it's been pretty interesting learning about the like home life norms of that era and the expectations of women of that era. Um, but it's also been interesting to learn about the history of music and performance in this way, um, the role that it played in these smaller community identities and rituals, so places outside of you know, the big cities of New York and Boston and Philly, these smaller towns and the um, ways that communities came together. And then like all of this sort of like cross pollinating of ideas and art that happened because of traveling bands that smaller towns wouldn't have otherwise had access to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm only halfway through it. So I haven't really gotten to the chapters yet that are about Emily Dickinson's poetry, but 
the author has teased some of what's coming. Um, he sort of reimagines the like famous white gown that Emily would wear as an adult, which like has this sort of um, association of her being a recluse. Um, he like reimagines it as this part of her sort of poetic performance like idea of herself and he traces it back to some of the like female singers that she had um attended performances of in her youth and like inspired by like the sort of iconic um performance of these musicians um my I guess like the only complaint worth saying is um in terms of the telling I guess because he's a music historian and scholar, it sort of, it reads like the audience is for other historians. And so there are parts that are kind of a slog to get through a little bit encyclopedic, um, lots of names in quick succession. And unless you sort of, unless you know them and um, have that sort of immediate recognition, um, it can it, it it goes in one ear and out the other for me a little bit. Even when he tries to contextualize who's who, it just doesn't really make an impression, um, which isn't a huge deal, and it isn't the author's fault, and it's still really interesting. Um, my favorite parts have been the ones that are more narrative and about Dickinson, um, who's a poet I've been trying to learn about and study closely while living in the great region of Western Massachusetts. Um, Hope you guys like it. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, Shabby. Bye. Thank you to Caroline Rayner, Aidan Ryan, Matthew Bookin, and Rochelle Toamino. Thank you to Crook for the music. And yeah, this has been a really significant episode for writers from the Buffalo area in particular, and was in Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, there's way more stuff to tell you about the publishing updates, but I'm going to do that next week. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon.